It's Wednesday, September 27th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Motley Fool Asset Management, Bill Barker in the house. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. We're both caffeinated. We both have our coffee in front of us. And that's a good thing because we do have news. We've got Nike's latest quarterly report. We've got Macy's trying their darndest to get more customers through the door. And we're going to get to both of those, uh, maybe a tangent or two, because longtime listeners know to expect a tangent or two when Bill Parker's in the studio. National Coffee Day on Friday. It is? This Friday? Yes. Well, I think as we probably say every year, every day is National Coffee Day for people like you and me. Yeah, but uh, some people will be throwing some free coffee your way. Oh, that's right. Even better. You know what? Yeah, we should all be coffee drinkers. Even even you people out there who are just like, no, nah, I just drink tea. That's fine. I drink tea from time to time. It's fine if you don't care about your health. I mean, look, for, for everyone who talks about the health properties of particularly green tea, that's fine. And in some ways, that's adorable. But it is completely dominated by the growing mountain of evidence from medical communities all over this vast planet of ours, weighing in on just how healthy coffee is for you. I mean, you say Friday is National Coffee Day. Another way to look at it is, Friday is National Take Care of Your Health Day. National Health Day. National Health Day. They should rebrand it. They should. Let's get to Nike. First quarter profits fell 24%. Gross margins are going in the wrong direction, and I know they are trying to build out that direct-to-consumer channel, but it seems like for them and others, it's not moving quickly enough. And so, I'm curious, when you looked at Nike's latest report, what stood out to you? Well, it's doing a better job than a lot of the other companies in the space, which have been obliterated in terms of their stock value, much more so than Nike has over the last year, say, uh, when you look at things like uh, Finish Line, uh, the suppliers, places where people are getting their Nike uh, apparel and shoes uh, when they're not getting it direct. And that business is under a great deal of pressure. It's under a great deal of promotional pressure, which is increasing. And so, Nike is wise and has done a pretty good job of getting the direct-to-consumer operations up and growing uh, much faster than the rest of, of uh, the space. But when you've got as much pressure on your main distribution channel as they do have, they had approximately the same level of sales uh, as the quarter ago, 12, uh, 12 months ago. Uh, but uh, the profits were way down. Their uh, operating profits were down about 10% on the same level of sales. Uh, and then a few more go down the um, net income sheet, and uh, the taxes were heavier than they were last year. Uh, there were some other things moving, and their earnings per share were down far more than 10%. So, when you think about the promotional aspect of Nike and how much money they spend on marketing, it, it really does seem like a delicate balance that, in large part, over the last 10, 20 years or so, they have pulled off nicely. And by that, I mean, when you think about opportunities around big events, whether it's the Olympics or the World Cup or, you know, sort of those quadrennial events as opposed to, oh, yeah, every year there's in America, there's the World Series, the Super Bowl, the NBA Finals. Um, I think they're playing hockey this year, although I'm not sure. I think they, I think the NHL is still doing that. We take every other year off. Um, but 
it it really does seem like given why are you got to troll NHL fans like that is that not the case are they not taking every other year off I'm just asking no, on they, their behalf didn't they I've do never that? met any of them personally but I understand that they exist and are they should be treated equally uh, they should be but I think most of them live in Canada you're from Canada no I'm from Maine it's like South Canada all right if you say so um, play a lot of hockey growing up uh, none whatsoever I can't ice skate wow yeah no that, wonder you're down here in Virginia yeah, now it's one of the reasons the main tourism board asked me to leave you get teased a lot uh, no, I, well, not for that. Look at Chris, he can't skate. For other reasons, I got teased, like but not for kids that. Kids would skate by and beat you up, hit you with their sticks and no, stuff. No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be near the rinks <laughs> uh, or the frozen ponds. I just assumed there was ice everywhere. Uh, a lot of times, yeah. Um, but it does seem like that balancing act becomes even more. There's more pressure around that uh, over the last year or two, because, specifically because of the ripple effect of sports authority going out of business. Uh, you mentioned finish line. You could, might as well throw Dick Sporting Goods in there as well. Um, Foot Locker, the, the, the three of them not really taking advantage of sports authority no longer being in existence. And uh, I'm wondering if we're going to see Nike pull back on some of that marketing spend over the next year or so. Because, again, they've pulled it off in the past, but when you see gross margins getting compressed the way they have been lately, then I think there are absolutely people at the highest levels of Nike and probably Under Armour as well saying, you know what, uh, I, I love, insert name of person who heads up marketing, but we got to cut that budget back. Well, Nike's operating from a much stronger space in that equation than Under Armour. They are, along with just being bigger and more established, uh, and much better known in footwear, uh, they are also just much better operators than Under Armour, which has done, let's give them a great deal of credit for how fast they have grown their company, but Under Armour has not focused on the bottom line um, to the extent that Nike has, they just they just don't have the same uh, margin performance that Nike has. So Nike has a, can give up a little bit of margin. Um, it's not something you want to see as a shareholder. It's not something that management is going to be happy about having to you know promote the way they have. Uh, but they are very strong players in terms of. Uh, sourcing and just how they how they operate their business in a way that the competition isn't. Now I don't know how, how much they can afford to throw it at everybody, and we see getting in the headlines some trouble for uh, others in the space uh, regarding the way they've thrown their money around colleges, and that is something that I am sure Nike is watching closely and hoping. Um, doesn't visit them. Uh, it would be rather, rather surprising if uh, this story this is, is as, as small as it is today. You're talking about Adidas, Adidas, and four. I think it's four assistant coaches, basketball coaches, yeah, um, being accused of basically funneling funneling money from Adidas 
representatives to high school athletes. Yeah, and so Adidas has been doing very well in this country, and maybe there's a little bit of a relationship between these two things, but they have now uh, surpassed the Jordan brand, as, uh, was getting a lot of press yesterday, uh, that uh, Adidas is, I think, now 13-some percent of the footwear market uh, here. At Nike, on the bright side, Good news out of China, uh, which is, as I understand it, uh, a reasonably sized market. Pretty big. So that's good. And North America is the problem, and that is their largest uh, um, location for sales. And it's the one you want to have the largest sales in. But uh, that is not growing, as we see from everybody else in the space. Shares of Nike are close to a two-year low. When you look at where the stock is right now, do you think this represents a screaming buy, or at least a good entry point for people who are looking to pick up shares of the dominant player in this space? Not a screaming buy. There's just too much competition, uh, too much trouble uh, in retail generally to get super excited uh, right now. They're Price to earnings is about 21. Uh, the five-year average is 26, so a little bit uh, cheaper. But keep in mind that they have taken a year of not growing, and whereas over the five years average that I'm referring to, where Nike has been priced at 26 times earnings uh, on the average, most of those five years they were showing pretty good growth, and now we're not only looking at flat. Sales, but uh, decreasing uh, profits. So, uh, 21 multiple, that's roughly what the market is as well. Um, Nike's a great company and they've had a great past and they're uh, in a very relevant industry, but uh, retail is just not that exciting. Macy's has had 10 straight quarters of declining same store sales. Next week, Macy's is unveiling a new loyalty reward program aimed at its biggest shoppers. This is people spending at least $1,200 a year. They'll get perks like free shipping and 5% back, although that's, as I understand it, that's as a store credit. And the company says that more perks to this loyalty program are going to be revealed in 2018. And they're, this is just the start of this. But I don't know. I'm, I'm not. I'm not rooting against Macy's, and I'm not a shareholder, but I'm I, I, partly because of my age, I'm rooting for Macy's to succeed. This struck me as not a great. I don't know. I I don't know what specifically I was hoping for when I heard that Macy's was going to be uh, announcing a loyalty program, but I was pretty underwhelmed by this. All right. So the most interesting part of the. Fortune article, which you sent to me and, and sort of covered what they're doing here. Um, and I'll read this and give them the credit for doing the reporting on this. Uh, the stakes for the loyalty program couldn't be higher. Macy's gets about 50% of its $25 billion in annual sales from the top 10% of its customers, um, those who spend over $1,200 a year at the chain. And they go on to say it's about 10 times more expensive to win a new customer than to entice a current one to stay, according to experts. So. Combining that, you see, um, you know, this this is a company which uh, is trying to stabilize the floor, it's trying to stabilize the number of uh, loyal customers and keep them coming in. And 
from a cost perspective, it sounds like that's much more efficient than going out and looking for new customers. And that makes sense to me, but it doesn't make you particularly hopeful about the future. If they can't bring in new customers, or if bringing in new customers is as expensive as it is, uh, I don't know that what we'll see from Macy's is anything better than playing defense. Because that's what this is. Do you think this is enough to get them through this holiday season? Because I think if you're, whether you're a shareholder or even a prospective shareholder, I think you have to be looking at Macy's. And 2018 is great, but you you kind of need a really great holiday in 2017. Uh, I mean, are they going to get through? Yeah, they're going to be around. I I I, I should have been more specific. Are we going to be more enthusiastic about Macy's after a white Christmas? Yes, or a green Christmas, as as, as the retailers as the like retailers to think. Retailers tend to, as opposed to a blue Christmas. Uh, I don't know. I think it's just going to be more of the same. This is going to help, I suppose, if they are able to roll this out fast enough to get those those loyal customers uh, to come into the store and shop. But uh, you know, Amazon is out there all the time. And is a constant threat. Uh, and Macy's is you know, about half of the market cap today that it was ten years ago, and that's not good. It's surprising, um, given how well they've done for so long in terms of managing their footprint, managing their store growth. They've always been pretty conservative about that. So the fact that they're particularly good at that one part, or historically, they've been good at that one part of the operations, but still sort of suffer the same inventory woes from time to time that most every retailer seems to is um, unfortunate. Well, so when I say that Macy's uh, is about half the market cap that it was ten years ago, that doesn't mean that the stock is half the half the value. Uh, you've basically seen flat returns on your investment because they've been buying back shares and so they haven't aggressively gone out and used the money the cash flow that they do have to expand operations they've done a more uh, intelligent intelligent job of managing uh, what they do have uh, they've gone out and they acquired blue mercury uh, which is probably a pretty useful acquisition compared to uh, some of the the other choices out there, and I think that's been largely successful. But people just aren't going to department stores in the same way that they used to. And if Macy's has some more slightly more elevated brand in that space uh, and believes that it can protect Macy's as a unique shopping experience, that's a that's a high hurdle to have. And and that's I think what they see themselves as is a unique in some way. Couple of things before we wrap up. Uh, one is that uh, we're doing a Facebook Live at the moment. So uh, for for those uh, unfamiliar, uh, about once a week or so at the Motley Fool, we try and do a Facebook Live event. Uh, sometimes it's a standalone event, as we did earlier this month uh, uh, with uh, in the wake of Apple's unveiling of the iPhone 10. Uh, sometimes it's just in concert with uh, taping of Market Foolery. So. Uh, if you're on Facebook and part of the Motley Fool group, if you're not part of the Motley Fool group, we encourage you to join. And uh, again, we try and do this. And one of the things we do is we take questions, and uh, usually we take them after we 
are done taping the podcast, but I'm just going to throw one at you because uh, Dylan Lewis, who's uh, helping us out with this, he heads up our Facebook Live initiatives, and industry-focused listeners are familiar with Dylan because he hosts the, the Friday Technology episode. And he sent me a few questions, and I'm just going to pick one that I think you can speak to. And it's uh, from Terry, who is asking, "What type of investments do you like for retirees? You're close to being retired, given your advanced years. I'm I'm just curious, as someone uh, from Motley Fool Asset Management, what types of investment? Obviously, we don't know Terry's situation. We can't give personal advice, but generally, what direction should Terry be thinking? Inheritance is always a good one. That's, I mean, that's, we should all be. Are you right? If you haven't looked into that, I would go ahead, check that one out. Yeah. So you're talking about money that you actually have. You've saved. You've been saving your whole life. And um, so, what types? Well, I think equities are, uh, you know, an important part of a completely nutritious retirement plan. Uh, a lot of people. So, all right, you've got your. Rule of thumb on what the equity and and fixed income allocation should be. Take either one hundred and subtract your age, and that's what percentage of of equities you should have. Some people say one ten. I don't think the math of that is is uh, it's it's a way to start thinking about it. Uh, but in terms of equities, a lot of people like to have a structured portfolio where they have dividend stocks, and so that they have a little bit more certainty. Uh, on what their cash flow is going to be. If you've got a big round number that everybody, a lot of people would like to have, say a million dollars invested in equities, and you've got that uh, at, uh, you know, invested in dividend paying stocks, then you're going to be getting, say, 3%. If you're uh, good, you might be able to get more than 3% uh, in a good portfolio uh, just on dividends, and then you've got a $30,000. Uh, stream of income coming in, which is more predictable than the, what the stock prices are going to be. There are times when dividends are cut by companies. Certainly in 08, 09, that was the case, but it's much more predictable than the stock price. So if you're just solely based, uh, solely investing in sort of a, a stereotypic tech company that has a widely fluctuating stock price, uh, then you're relying on being able to. Sell if you're going to be living off this portfolio. Sell at good times rather than the the stability of, of a more income driven portfolio. Reminder that uh, this weekend, the first ever bonus episode of Market Foolery will be dropping on Saturday, and this is as we've mentioned a couple of times. This is the non investing episode. A few listeners have asked for this, and this is the. It's the it's the tangent episode. When, gonna, you, when you say a few, how many? Uh, literally a few. Okay. A few have said, "Hey, you know, it'd be fun if if you and Bill Barker just got in the studio and just and just opened up the microphones and just started talking." And we thought that that might be fun. We don't think that should be a regular episode because we talk about business news. So we want to stick. So we're going to throw this out as a bonus episode, which I can tell you right now, we're going to be taping it tomorrow. It's going to be published on Saturday, so it'll show up in your feed on Saturday. And if you're not subscribing to Market Foolery, please do. Just click the subscribe button. It's just one click, and we'll just show up there. How early would you want to wake up to make sure, like, if you want to be the first listener? Uh, we're going to publish this uh, really early. So I think in the United States, you're, it's going to be dark out when this gets Set published. Set your alarms. You know what? This is a little something for for the for the listeners, for the dozens of listeners over in the UK, over in Europe. This is this is going to be 
right in their sweet spot in terms of the morning for them. Okay. Because market flurry is normally published in the afternoon or evening for them. So yeah. So. You know, in Europe and England, it's okay to have tea instead of coffee. Yeah. You know what else is really popular in England? Coffee. <laughs> it's no tea. It's not. And again, it's not that tea is bad for you that we no, know of. No, nobody's going after tea as being actively bad for you. No it's, one's going after big tea. It's, it's, it's just not the cure all, the life extender that coffee, coffee is. That coffee is. Yeah. Um, anything else? What's going to be on this show? Uh, it's going to be you and me and someone who's never been on Market Foolery before. And I thought about mentioning this person's name today, but we're just going to save it. We're just going to save it for the bonus episode. So people who actually listen to it will be disappointed. They'll just be like, oh, okay. This guy I've never heard of. This person I've never heard of. Oh, all right. Well, uh, Bill and Chris decided he should come These in the studio. These people should have heard of him. I blame them. Uh, These people. You're blaming our listeners. Please don't. Just do the that. ones that the ones that you say aren't paying attention. Please, to please, please don't do that. Every employee in the company and what they do. Um, and he shows up in the like podcast uh, feed, like on Facebook, with some comments. He's sometimes. part of the Facebook group. Yeah, and uh, he is a published author. Maybe we'll get into that. Maybe we'll just spring that on him because he doesn't actually listen to Market Foolery. So maybe we can just spring that on him. Like, hey, let's talk about your book or your game show appearances. Uh, yes, exactly. For anyone who's seen, what was the Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? Yes, right? yeah. He wanted to be a millionaire. Well, he is the answer to the question: Who wants to be a millionaire? The guy who's going to be on the bonus episode of Market Foolery with us this weekend. Bill Barker, Motley Fool Asset Management. Thanks for being here. I thought we were doing this one other story. Oh, did I? you did you want to hit that real quick? Uh, well, the thing is, you came in. Let's. You came in with a little bit of a bee in your bonnet today. Um, to the studio before the Facebook cameras started rolling. The longtime listeners know that this is the point in the show when I normally say the investing portion of this episode is over. Not true. Oh, Not okay. true. So the story, because you you need something to vent about, um, is this uh, Chipotle news? Yeah. So well, to be to be completely clear. You had said when we when we were having coffee earlier this morning, not to be confused with the coffee we're having now. Uh, this is like coffee number two or three. Uh, you had said, uh, "Oh, I'm I'm going to find another story for us to talk about." And I said, "Oh, that's great." And I walked into the studio and said, "What's the other story we're going to talk about?" And you said, "Oh, I I actually haven't found one." And then you just sort of fumbled about and you found the Chipotle story, which you can go ahead and share. Well, Chipotle is, uh, according to. CNBC, which we found this on. We They're trust hiring them. Uh, Richard Blaze, friend of yours. Uh, Richard Blaze, not a friend of mine, but someone I've watched on the show Top Chef. I've seen him before. He's he's been hired to spiff up its burger concept. And so, for those that didn't know, Chipotle has a concept. They don't actually have a, you know, a burger establishment, but they've got a name. No, I think they and, and the cons. Do they? they? I think they have a couple of locations. Oh, do they? Yeah. Well, and by there a couple, I mean a couple. And so you shared this news, and as much as I like Richard Blaze, at least the the television, the reality television version of him, I rooted for him on Top Chef because he just seemed like a decent guy and a good chef and talented and all that sort of thing. As a Chipotle shareholder, I this is yet another hair ripping moment because if. If they're focused on the couple of burger locations that they have and not on the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of namesake Chipotle locations that they have, 
then they're just wasting everyone's time. So they have one location, according to this article. This is Tasty Made for those who are traveling through Lancaster, Ohio, or live there uh, or nearby. They can go there and see see what's going on. And they they it's a pretty pretty inventive um, concept. They've got uh, burgers, fries, and shakes. Wow, all three. All three. That's amazing. That's amazing for a the company. triple crown. Yeah, that's amazing for a company that somehow appears to be the only restaurant in America that can't pull off breakfast before creating lunch and dinner. Um, actually, one of our listeners in Ohio went to that location when it opened up. I remember um, uh, there were lines out the door, um, but the actual burger itself was uh, pretty uninspiring, according to this one listener. And so that speaks to why they've, they're bringing in a celebrity chef to help spiff it up. Mm-hmm. But again, this is, this is not even one-tenth of one percent of their, of, of their overall business. So you know what? Get Richard Blaze in there to maybe work on the, on the namesake menu or someone else. You're you're a little bitter about Chipotle, just, aren't you? I'm just yeah. It's 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 yeah. It's time for Stephen Ellis. Is go. it a, a, being a, being a shareholder of it? Um, that's a big part of it. Yeah, I mean, I would be. I would. Uh, I'm certainly frustrated at other companies and other company managements that I I don't have any sort of financial stake in. But um, but yeah, being a shareholder of Chipotle and sort of watching the last two years play out the way they have. It's like you know what? It's fine, you know. Anyway, people have heard me vent about this before. <laughs> I could go for another twenty minutes, and I'm not going to do that. Um, but uh, again, good luck on the tasty made. Maybe, maybe if that's a hit, start rolling those out. Start expanding those. Maybe that can succeed where Shophouse didn't. No, it was disappointing. What's uh, happened with every concept uh, other than? The original one, and the original one hasn't exactly been firing on all cylinders either. Do you know why Shop House didn't succeed? I do not know because no one likes Chinese food. Ah, oh no, wait, that's not true. Everyone <laughs> loves Chinese food. They just couldn't manage to pull it off. <sighs> all right, I'm going to move on now. Now people are really fired up for the bonus episode this weekend. They're, it's going to be gentler parts of it. <laughs> parts of it are going to be gentler. There, there will be some edge. There's, there's definitely. I mean, there will be tigers and sharks if, fighting each other. If nothing else, there will be tigers in zero and sh- gravity. In zero gravity, in the boxing ring on the International Space Station, which NASA has yet to refute our declaration that it exists. So I just take that, you know, as confirmation that it exists. Here's what I'm going to throw. Out. This is the thing that I'm looking forward to in the episode when we get into uh, the what the. Um, Comedy influences have been in our lives, and and I'm excited to hear yours. And I'll just say that if anybody can get three out of the four that you're going to come up with, you're going to four Mount Rushmore comedy influences, right? You'll announce them. You're going to unveil them. I don't. I don't know that I'm going to. No. No. Yes, he will. I don't. And <laughs> if anybody out there gets three out of the four, and this will be the honor system. Right, because you've you've heard Chris enough to know where where his comedy comes from. I'm talking to the listeners out there, not you. Yeah, I know you're not talking to me. You can't even come up with the four, three out of the four. I came up with. You're going to fail this. You would not get a prize. Yeah, right I now, would, I would not. I would not. I I was thinking about this over the weekend. I came up with one. One. <laughs> yeah. And yet you're the only one uh, who will be on the show who's actually performed for you know in a comedy setting. 
Yeah. Where tickets were sold. People exchanged money for the opportunity to watch you perform in a comedic setting. In fairness, it was not a lot of money, nor should it have been. (laughs) As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.